Uh, no, this report from Constable Riggs about the three little half-caste girls at the Jigalong Fence Depot, Molly, Gracie and Daisy. The youngest is of particular concern. She's promised to a full blood. I'm authorising their removal. They're to be taken to Moor River as soon as possible. Owen Bus Thomas, if you could check that the rate for police transportation is still, I believe, eight pence per mile. Yes, Mr. Neville. Thank you. G'day, guys, and welcome to Aussie English. My objective here is to teach you guys the English spoken down under. So whether you want to speak like a fair dinkum Aussie, or you just want to understand what the flippin' hell we're on about when we're having a yarn, you've come to the right place. So sit back, grab a cuppa, and enjoy Aussie English. G'day guys and welcome to this episode of the Aussie English Podcast, the number one podcast for anyone and everyone who wants to learn Australian English. Whether you want to understand what we're talking about, whether you want to be able to use slang that we use, pronounce words the way we pronounce them, this podcast is the number one podcast designed to help you do that. So, today we had an interesting opening scene from the movie The Rabbit Proof Fence. So, this was a movie created in 2002. It's an Aussie drama. It's a film based on the book Follow the Rabbit Proof Fence by Doris Pilkington, Gary Mara. So, definitely check that book out and definitely check this movie out if you want to understand a bit more about Australian culture and specifically about The Stolen Generations, which is probably the darkest chapter in Australian history, or at least one of the darkest chapters. Anyway, this movie is loosely based on the true story, and it concerns the author's mother, Molly, who's actually in the film, and some mixed-race Aboriginal girls who ran away from the Moor River native settlement north of Perth in Western Australia in an attempt to try to return to their Aboriginal families after they had been forcibly taken by the authorities by the government and placed in this native settlement in 1931. So, the film follows these Aboriginal girls after the fact, after they've been taken forcibly from their parents, from their families, as these girls try to escape and walk back 2.4 thousand kilometres along the Australian rabbit-proof fence in Western Australia to see their family, to meet their family once again in a community at Jigalong. So, they're doing this. It takes nine weeks for them to do so. And the whole time, they're being tracked down by the authorities and an Aboriginal tracker. So, the scene that we saw at the start there was actually the chief protector of Aborigines for Western Australia, or at least the actor pretending to be him, acting as him. And this guy was named A.O. Neville, and he's signing off on a document to allow these several mixed-race children to be forcibly taken from their parents, from their families, from their community, and placed into a church mission. Anyway, we're going to talk more about the history of this 
event and the stolen generations at the end of today's episode. So, let's chat about that in today's Aussie fact. So, today's expression, guys, today's expression is to hit the nail on the head, to hit the nail on the head. This one was suggested by me, funnily enough, in the Aussie English Virtual Classroom. Uh, We voted on it yesterday and you guys decided for whatever reason that you liked my expression the most. And so, here we are doing it. But before we get into the expression, guys, let's get into today's Aussie joke. Where should a 500 kilo koala go? Where should a 500 kilo koala go? On a diet. (laughs) On a diet. Do you get it, guys? The joke there is that you can go somewhere, you know, the koala could go, say, up a tree or he could go away to a location, but you can also go on something such as a diet. So, that's the joke. Where should a 500 kilo koala go? On a diet. He should go on a diet because he's overweight. All right. So, the expression to hit the nail on the head, to hit the nail on the head. Let's go through and define the different words in the expression to hit the nail on the head. So, first we have the verb to hit, to hit something. To hit something means to bring one's hand or it could be a tool or a weapon into contact with something or someone quickly and forcibly. So, if you hit someone, that's to punch them in the face, but you could use a hammer to hit a nail or to hit a piece of wood and you're bringing that hammer quickly and forcibly into contact with the nail or with the piece of wood. A nail. What is a nail? A nail is a small metal spike a small metal spike with a broadened flat end. So, one end is flat and the other end is incredibly sharp. And these things tend to be driven into wood, pushed into wood, hit into wood to join things together or to serve as, say, a hook if you were to bend this nail. On, you'll all know what on is. On is to be above and resting upon something. The head or a head. A head is the upper part of a human body with the face, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears, the tongue, the teeth, everything like that. Your brain is inside your head. That is the head. But we can use this to also refer to, say, the top of something, the uppermost part of something. So, therefore, the head of a nail is the very top of a nail, as if the nail was standing up. Um, and it was the same as a human body or it was representing a human body, the head on a human would be the very top part of the nail, the head of the nail. So, let's define the expression today, guys, to hit the nail on the head. If you hit the nail on the head, that is that you have found exactly the correct answer. You found the right answer. You were exactly correct. And it can be to say or do something that is absolutely correct. Okay? So, to hit the nail on the head is to be correct or it's to say or do something that is absolutely correct. So, this expression and its origin, this expression is extremely old. I was actually somewhat shocked when I looked this expression up and I tried to find the origin of this expression. 
One of the earliest, if not the earliest, um, appearances of this expression is actually in Middle English. So it's effectively in another language, very, very old English from the year 1438. How crazy is that, guys? So the 15th century. And it appeared in the book of Marjorie Kemp. The book was called The Book of Marjorie Kemp. And it's a count of the life of a religious visionary, Marjorie Kemp, and is considered to be the earliest surviving autobiography written in English. So, just for something a little different, I've actually got the passage here or the, the sentence here written in Middle English, and I definitely recommend that you guys have a look at the writing if you're listening to this now. Download the transcript and have a look at the writing because. It is quite weird to see this because a lot of these words sound the same or at least represent the same words, but the spelling has changed from Middle English to Modern English. So I'm going to try and read it as I guess I would say this.、Um, but yeah, definitely check it out because it's pretty interesting. If I hear any more of these materies rehearsed, I shall so smiten ye nail on ye head that it shall shamen. All her maintenaries. I've probably completely butchered the pronunciation there as I have no idea how to pronounce Middle English, but check it out. In modernized English, though, this passage reads If I hear any more of these matters repeated, I shall so smite the nail on the head that it shall shame all her supporters. So it's pretty interesting. If I hear any more of these matters repeated, if I hear any more of these materies rehearsed, that was the、um, Middle English, I shall so smite the nail on the head, I shall so smiten ye nail on ye head, that it shall shame all her supporters, that it shall shame all her supporters. All her maintenoweries. Anyway, let's go through the examples for today's expression, guys. So, a classic example for me, and when I would use the expression to hit the nail on the head, is when I'm giving my private lessons to students. So, I give my private lessons to students where practicing English, they tend to practice their pronunciation in our private lessons quite a bit. And when they get it correct, I often tell them, You got it perfect, you nailed it. And I might say, You've hit the nail on the head, mate. Great job. You've hit the nail on the head. You got that correct. And if they really shock or surprise me with how much they nailed it, I might say, Struth, mate, which is a way of showing shock or surprise. Struth, mate. You hit the nail on the head. Struth. Example number two. So, imagine your mate's about to buy a second hand car. So, your mate's trying to buy a second hand car. He wants to go on a bit of a road trip. He's interested in buying a wagon, which is a car with a lot of room in the back, the kind of car you'll see people doing road trips in where they can put a mattress and a lot of gear in the back, whether it's eskies, whether it's camping gear, all that sort of jazz. So, he buys a wagon, could be a Holden or a Ford. Um, and maybe you're unsure why he went for those two brands. You might ask him, is it because they're cheap and they're easy to repair? So it's cheap to get parts for these cars and they don't cost much. Is that the reason you got this car? And he might say, bingo, 
Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. That is the exact reason I bought these cars. They're cheap and they're easy to repair. You hit the nail on the head. Example number three could be, imagine that you and your mate have bought this car now. So, we're continuing on the previous story. You've bought this car and it turns out that it's actually a total bomb. It's a total dud. It was a massive rip-off and your mate's been hoodwinked. He's been tricked. He's had the wool pulled over his eyes. He's been taken for a ride. These are all just different ways to say that he's been cheated or tricked. And so, your mate's a bit pissed off. So, he's angry, he's upset, um, he's losing his shit and he tells you to get in the car, we're going to go for a drive to my farm. The farm's out in the sticks, might take an hour or two to get to because it's out in the sticks, it's out in the bush. Um, You might ask your mate, why are we going to your farm? Are you going to leave it there on the farm without the rego and the plates just as a paddock bomb or something, you know, a car that you can just drive around on the farm that doesn't need to be registered, needs no rego. If you're correct... You might turn around and say, yes, truth, mate, you nailed it. That's it. You hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what I plan to do with this bomb. So, that's it, guys. Hopefully, by now, you understand the expression to hit the nail on the head. I use this all the time, guys. I'm sure it's used everywhere, whether you're in Britain, New Zealand, America, Canada, wherever you are in the English-speaking world, people will understand to hit the nail on the head means that you are exactly correct or that you've said something or done something that is exactly right. So, let's go through a pronunciation, listen and repeat exercise. As usual, guys, this is your chance to practice your English pronunciation. But not only that, it's your chance to try to perfect the Aussie accent. So, listen and repeat, guys, and pronounce things exactly as I do if you want an Aussie accent. Let's go. Hit. Hit the, hit the nail, hit the nail on, hit the nail on the, hit the nail on the head, hit the nail on the head, hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail on the head. I've hit the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head. He's hit the nail on the head. She's hit the nail on the head. They've hit the nail on the head. It's hit the nail on the head. Good job, guys. Good job. So, we're going to practice the pronunciation and the connected speech of all of those phrases we just went through. 
in today's Aussie classroom course. So these these classes, these expression episodes get turned into courses on the Aussie English Classroom website. If you want to sign up, it's just $1 for your first month. You can give it a go. You get a heap of lessons, usually six lessons with each of these expression episodes on the podcast. I give you vocab lists. I break down the slang. I give you some phrasal verb substitution exercises to practice those difficult phrasal verbs and learn synonyms for them. And then I also break down the pronunciation as an Australian, as well as the connected speech. So, the interesting stuff that goes on that might be pretty subtle when you're just listening and then we often go through grammar. So, if you want to give that a go, go to theaussieenglishclassroom.com and enroll. It's just $1 and you can start leveling up your English today. Anyway, guys, let's go through today's Aussie fact and then we can finish up. So, today's Aussie fact ties in with the Rabbit Proof Fence movie and the excerpt that you heard from the movie at the start of this episode. And I want to talk about the stolen generations or the stolen children. Um, This is probably the darkest chapter in Australian history or at least one of the darkest chapters in Australian history and it was where children of Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent were removed from their families by force. So, they were removed forcibly by the Australian federal and state government agencies and they were placed in church missions under acts of their respective parliaments. The removal of those children who were referred to as half-caste or mixed-race, mixed-blood, etc., was conducted between the years of 1905 and 1969, although in some places, mixed-race children were still being taken into the 1970s. And to put that in context, that was when my parents were teenagers. So, it wasn't that long ago, and many, many, many of the Stolen Generation children are still alive today. So, why did Australia do this? Why did the Australian government take half-caste or mixed-race children from Aboriginal families and communities? The idea was for the government to, quote-unquote, protect these mixed-race or half-caste children from abuse and neglect in their communities because they were part European. And as a result, they were seen as... I guess, the burden or they were meant to be protected by the Australian government. So, the official government estimates are that between one in ten and one in three of these Indigenous Australian children were taken forcibly from their families and communities between the years of 1910, 1970. So, for about 60 years, this took place. And that numbered about 20,000 to 100,000 children, somewhere between there, but estimates are a bit sketchy. And it affected every single region in Australia, every single part of the country. It was also a belief at the time that this action was required as Aboriginal Australians were quote-unquote dying off as their population had steadily shrunk. It had decreased from 1.25 million in the year 1788 when Australia was first settled or colonised and it had shrunk down to only 50,000 
uh, Indigenous Australians in 1930. So the government or the, the public of Australia were worried that Aboriginal Australians were quote-unquote dying off. Um, whites, the European Australians, assumed that the full-blood tribal Aboriginal population would be unable to sustain itself and that it was doomed to extinction. And the idea expressed by the chief protector, <laughs> how ironic is that, the chief protector of Aborigines for Western Australia, A.O. Neville, who was the guy uh, being acted as in that snippet at the start of today's episode, the idea expressed by him and others as late as 1930 was that mixed-race children could be trained to work in white society and over generations they would marry white people and be assimilated into the society. And so I guess this gives you an insight into the sort of racist views of Europeans in this time who thought that full-blooded Aboriginals were less than Europeans, they weren't complete civilised humans and that they couldn't assimilate properly into society society, but that they thought that half-bloods would be able to. So, the chief protector of Aborigines um, was the legal guardian of every single Aboriginal and every half-caste child up to the age of 18 years old, and they were also given total control of all Indigenous women, regardless of their age, unless these women were married to a man who was considered substantially European in origin. So, that just blows my mind, to be honest, because in today's day and age, it's just such a a racist and um, just offensive idea. But you have to put it in the context of people who grew up in the 1800s and the early 19th century. But yeah, it just blows my mind reading this stuff. Anyway, this guy, the chief protector of Aborigines, actually had to approve marriages between Indigenous women and non-Indigenous men. So, uh, it's it's pretty upsetting for someone like me who feels for these people and who does share a bit of that sort of European guilt um, at the way that Indigenous Australians have been treated in the past and how they are treated today. And it really goes to show that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So, despite these people thinking and believing they were doing the right thing at the time, the actions were close to evil, you know, like they just led to so much suffering. So, European Australians believed that their civilization was superior to that of Indigenous Australians in this time, and people in this period of time who held these beliefs too considered any proliferation of mixed-descent children, who were known as half-castes, crossbreeds, quadroons, which is someone who is one-quarter black, and octoroons, who is someone who is one-eighth black. And I laugh there because these terms I don't even know. And I would imagine these terms are now considered highly derogatory and offensive to Indigenous Australians, but that's how they were referred to in this time. And um, these people believed that any proliferation of these children would be a threat to the nature and stability of the prevailing civilization, of Western civilization, and the heritage, the racial heritage of Western civilization. So that's just how racist, sort of that entrenched and ingrained opinion of uh, Aboriginals was back in this time. 
Strangely enough, this wasn't just the belief of a few men. It was a response to public concern as well over the increase in the number of mixed descent children and the sexual exploitation of young Aboriginal women by non-Indigenous men, as well as fears among non-Indigenous people of being outnumbered by a mixed descent population. So there's that racism again. Um, So the Northern Territory Chief Protector of Aboriginals, Dr. Cecil Cook, he argued that, quote, everything necessary must be done to convert the half-caste into a white citizen, end quote. And Walter Baldwin Spencer reported that in the 1920s, many mixed descent children were born to Aboriginal women and white fathers. And these white fathers had actually worked on the construction of the Garn, which is a railway that goes from Adelaide to Darwin, I believe. And these men, whilst working on it, were obviously hooking up with Aboriginal women, making them pregnant, and then just disappearing and leaving these children when the project was completed. Anyway, guys, that is long enough for today's episode. Um, I hope you enjoy this Aussie fact. I hope it gives you some insight into The Stolen Generations, one of Australia's darkest chapters in our history. And I will see you in the next episode. Peace out, guys. G'day, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aussie English Podcast. If you wish to support the podcast and help me keep bringing you content, you can do so via my Patreon page. Remember, it's my mission here at Aussie English not only to help you understand Australian English, but to speak it like a native. If that's your goal, make sure you enroll in the Aussie English Classroom, guys, where you'll get all the bonus content for today's episode designed to improve your English even faster. Have a ripper of a day and I'll see you in class. Bye.